Today's podcast is brought to you by 13 Star Designs. 13 Star Designs is a unique vinyl and embroidery shop featuring seasonal designs, spooky gifts, and of course, their signature item, the world-famous dick mark. The first ever penis-shaped bookmark. They sell wreaths and blankets and towels and all sorts of cool and weird stuff. Even bookmarks shaped like bookmarks, if you can even imagine. Check them out at facebook.com slash 13stardesigns and find something perfectly strange for that strangely perfect person in your life. That's facebook.com slash 13, all spelled out, star designs. Hi, everybody. I'm Josh. And I am Alyssa. And we are back. Yay. With today's episode of The Podcast Was On Fire. And it wasn't my fault. A read-along pod where we dig into the good, the great, and the problematic of the Dresden Files series by Jim Butcher. I'm an old Dresden vet. And I am a first-time reader. And together we break it down, we chew it up and spit it out for you like our baby birds all over the world. (laughs) And uh, we're just delighted to be here. How are you today, Lissy? I am wonderful. Had a very productive day. Did you or did you buy a bunch of plants? Uh, that was yesterday. Um, but no, I got like those zipper bags. Those and I, so I like vacuum sealed some of my uh, extra stuff in my linen closet, my winter clothes. Very, uh, very productive. Winter clothes, huh? Well, like you know, sweater dresses and jackets and things like that. NorCal, dude, NorCal. <laughs> oh man! But I've been wearing hoodies this whole time. Like it hasn't gotten above eighty. I think it was like 82 today or something like that. It was hot. It's like, and it was like, oh my gosh, it's so hot. I'm like, you guys, it is 103 down at San Bernardino. This is not hot. Oh my goodness. I got a tournament in Riverside this weekend. Ooh. We've got, so we've got four teams. Well, mm-hmm. four of our like competitive groups. So we have 18 and under, 16 and under, 14 and under, 12 and under. The 12s and 16s are at a pool at a high, they're both playing at high schools that my nephew was choosing between. So like right next door to my sister's my other sister's house. And then the third one was just down the road. So I was like, Oh, I just started looking, flipping through the schedules. Like, Oh, I'm going to be able to hang out with Brenna, you know, maybe get some, get some lunch, maybe get one of the, you know, get the kids to come to a game or something. And then we're like randomly a half hour East. <laughs> so I kind of know. Oh. Um, and on Friday, we're an hour East. Because Friday traffic is real. But, um, so yes, we're out in Riverside, which apparently used to be nice and like fancy and like where all the orange magnates lived. Some of it, yeah. Now it's not that. It's not no, at all. Not even close. <laughs> not even. Close. Oh. But it's going to be warm, was what I was getting at. It's going to be very, 
Very, very warm out there this weekend. I've got my straw hat. I got my SPF 75 sunscreen. I'm a ginger. <laughs> hey, you know, better sunscreened than skin cancered. Exactly. Actually, missing a game this Friday. I was trying to think. I think it's the first time I've missed a game since September of 21. It's been a minute. Oh, wow. But uh, taking uh, Aaron's boys on a boys trip. Ooh. So jo- my dad and his best buddy would take my nephews on a train trip down to San Diego. They'd go to a museum and stuff. Our dad's no longer around. So me and Johnny, my dad's buddy, and my, my, he's like our dad also. <laughs> <laughs> our bonus dad. Exactly. So Johnny and me, Johnny and I, and the kids are going to go take a train down to San Diego, catch like an aerospace museum or something. Something that preteen boys are going to be super into. And then, uh, so I told my boss and he was like super supportive and cool about it, which is really cool. And I'm like, really, like I said, I haven't missed a game in like 20 months. Um, and so I was all, you know, weird about it. And he's like, no, no, it's, it's fine. We'll figure it out. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I'm both excited to, uh, go on the boys trip have been on a train in a minute and then uh we put together one of dad's old train sets uh while they were here which was fun and uh me and ej had to fix the uh locomotive it was like falling apart we had to do some gluing some hammering all the fun stuff but some train repairs exactly some locomotive repairs and uh um yeah it's down there and then i'm uh, just saturday sunday i'll be up in uh, lovely riverside but Oof. We'll see how uh, quickly I can turn around the editing process without well, my, Friday, Friday my or lucky Saturday. Self gets to go gets to go to San Bernardino Woo! on July thirteenth for a little turnaround trip oh, to wow. testify in a course a court case for my old job. Oh, nice! Oh yeah! Oh yeah! It's like, like the hottest cool time of year. It's great. A little, little, flash, <laughs> little flashback, a little hot flashback. Yeah, it's going to remind me <laughs> why I'm so happy I moved. <laughs> why don't I live here anymore? One of my coworkers asks me every couple of months, you still glad you left San Bernardino? And every single time it's yes. A <laughs> hundred times over, yes. So it's it'll, it'll be interesting. Fun times on the horizon, I'll tell you what. Oh, yeah. Party every minute. And tonight, my buddy bought a bar. I told you about that. And uh, my friend and I are going to go hang out. She's going to bring her pooch to see if uh, she got a new Ooh. doggy. And she's going to see if doggy can uh, can deal. So it's like, there'll be an adventure okay, nice. for a little poom area. They have an outside section? or A little outside. But they also let dogs in the bars here. It's like a divey place. It's nothing too uh, crazy. Our our local that we usually go to where we have, where we go to um, trivia and everything. There's a couple of couple local bar dogs that uh, that know us. Morgan is one of them, and he's a three-legged dog. And uh, <laughs> sweetest, sweetest doggy in the whole wide world. The first time we met him, his his dad was like, come over here. And he looked at us, he looked at his dad, and got a really bad limp <laughs> to walk back to his dad. <laughs> and I was like, oh, sweet, sweet boy. <laughs> but yeah, it's, you know, I love a good dog adventure, so... Make friends with the the local canines. Absolutely. Because as most people are aware, animals are much better than people. Just and everything general. but helping you get stuff off the top shelf. 
That's true. Well, I mean, if you have a cat, <laughs> just go, hey, knock that down to me. <laughs> I saw I saw this meme sort of thing or twi- tweet or something this week where um, this person is, says that they were in the kitchen and they knocked over a plant and the cat gave them a look. So they had to squirt themselves in the face. Yes, I did see that. <laughs> Did you send me that or did I just see it separately? I, I, I don't remember if I sent it to you. But, yeah, I feel like I ran but, into that separately. That's, that's a hilarious. Spectacular. I, it, I just giggled. We have a lot of cats in our lives, so. Not enough. Oh, Ooh, goodness. Russell. Huh? Rus- I said, where is Russell? He's in a box somewhere downstairs. Hmm. Haven't seen him in a minute. I should probably. And, and Russell was Josh's cat on. that I passed sh- away. I should put him on a shelf somewhere. Yeah, um, maybe. But I don't know where he is. And Aaron cleans. My sister is really good at cleaning. And what that usually means is she throws stuff out. I know she didn't throw Russell out, but she throws she a bunch of stuff out somewhere. and then she moves stuff to places that make sense in her brain, mm-hmm. which means you can't find it till next time she's in town. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but out of sight, out of mind, I guess. All right. Well, anyway, anywho, I guess we are still technically officially probably doing a podcast i mean kinda so we are just getting into creeping up on this duel in universe we know that somebody the church mice well i guess now it's just a church mouse has possession of the shroud of turin and they're looking to sell it probably to marcone and Harry wants to solve that crisis for the Vatican, as well as the Interpol and the churches are the uh, Chicago PD are on that one. And also we have Paulo Ortega, a warlord of the red court in town. And they are just now finalizing the specifics of their planned duel with Shiro standing in for Michael as Harry's second and Thomas Wraith of the white court of vampires is Ortega's second. So they're hammering out the details with Kincaid, who's standing in for Ivy the Archive, because it's past her bedtime. And she feels very strongly that children should have a a, a set bedtime and get a full night's sleep. So good on her. So they've worked it out. And now Harry and Ortega just had a little tete-a-tete where Ortega invited him to come down and be a vampire with him forever, ever, forever, ever. Forever, ever. Forever, ever. And Harry said no because Ortega feeds on children. And he went outside so that no one could tell why he was trembling. And that is where we left off last week. And why don't you get us into chapter 18 of Death Masks Ice? Alrighty. So Harry's outside. He doesn't have to wait long. Kincaid leaves and then or- Ortega comes out. And Ortega tells him, the, I have a measure of respect for, uh, sorry, uh, I have a measure of respect for your principles and skills, Dresden. But this situation is of your own making, and I cannot allow it to continue. I'm sorry. That's my best is Antonio he Russian? Banderas voice. Is he Russian now? <laughs> that was my best Antonio Banderas voice. <laughs> da! Da! I am vampire. <laughs> so I can't do a Spanish accent, okay? Uh, and Harry says, he didn't say a word that was untrue. Ortega had a genuine axe to grind, and people, well, fellow monsters, to protect. And thus far, the Dresden versus Vampire scoreboard read a whole bunch to zero. 
If a vampire had done that to the White Council, I wonder if we would have reacted with this much calm and with this much reason and calm. And then Thomas comes out and uh, a pro hitter is also following Thomas. And Harry asks if he's, he's around and Harry said, uh, sorry, and Thomas tells Harry that he's introduced him to his sister. And as we learned before, the white court vampires feed on psychic en- energies um, of other people rather than blood. And he says, if a couple of Thomas's sisters had met the hired gun tailing Thomas, the assassin probably wasn't going to be a problem to anyone ever. My eye twitched. <laughs> we get a little bit of a rundown about why Thomas is uh, Ortega's second. It's his father's idea of a joke. Uh, Which and then we saw also what he's clearly thumbing the eye of the red court pretty regularly, right? Because he was invited to Bianca's ascension yes. to the party way back in mm-hmm. whatever that book was. Where we met Thomas. Grave Peril. And um, it was the same thing where mm-hmm. the, white, the white king was invited and instead he sent Thomas. He sent Thomas in instead, which is very much it, it was basically a fuck you. And that's what this is. Exactly. Um and then Thomas says, one would almost think father was trying to get me killed. I felt one side of my mouth tug up in a smile. Nice father figure, him and Bill Cosby. And this is one of those that made me giggle because oh, so good. Because obviously this was written prior to when we learned Bill Cosby is a sexual predator. Great. So much fun. Well, it's funny um, because it, the, the line still works. It still works. <laughs> just in a very They're different both fashion. Predators. Exactly. Uh, but it was just funny. That made but initially it was supposed to be sarcastic. And now if you just take the sarcasm out, it works oh, yeah. perfectly. Yeah, no. Exactly. Terrible father figure. Fuck, fuck, <laughs> fuck him and Bill Cosby, huh? <laughs> right. Um, and then, you know, he asks Thomas, well, what, what are we, what are you, de- what did you guys decide on for a duel? And Thomas is like, I can't tell you. It's the Shiro's job. Because, I mean, technically, I'm at war with you. And then Thomas says, he means to kill you. I know. He's dangerous, Harry. Smart. My father is afraid of him. I could like him, I said. It's sort of refreshing to have someone trying to kill me right to my face instead of throwing me a bunch of curveballs and shooting me in the back. It's almost nice to have a fair fight. Sure. Theoretically. Theoretically? Thomas shrugged. Ortega's been alive for about 600 years. It isn't something you do by playing nice. From what I've heard, the archive will object to any monkey business. It's only cheating if he gets caught. I frowned at him and said, are you saying someone is planning to avoid getting caught? I'm not saying anything. I wouldn't mind seeing you kick his ass, but I'm sure as hell not going to do something that would attract attention to me. You intend to participate without being involved. That's clever. I won't throw a banana peel under you, but don't expect any help from me either. I'm just making sure it's a fair fight, and then I'm back at my beach house. Good luck. Thomas, I said to his back, thanks for the heads up. He paused. Why do it? I asked. The vampire glanced over his shoulder at me and smiled. Life would be unbearably dull if we had answers to all our questions. And then he drives off. Shiro comes out and tells him that the duel is a duel hold of up, wills. Hold up, just before you talk about Shiro real quick. Uh-huh. I just, mostly, I mean, that's certainly an intriguing exchange. Mm-hmm. But more than that, I just want to say that, of course, Thomas has driving gloves. Oh, of course. He's <laughs> fucking, like, he's going to fast and the furious. Like, what the fuck are we doing here, Thomas? <laughs> like, <laughs> well, you're driving on surface he- streets in Chicago in the winter. Like, you don't well, need fucking gloves. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, then his car starts and it's screaming metal music and the engine roars off. Um, that's about right, though. It's Thomas is very flashy. Of course, exactly. It's just uh-huh. funny. <laughs> that is very funny. Um, and then Shiro comes out and he tells Harry that it is going to be a duel of wills at Wrigley Field. A stadium. Why don't we put it on pay-per-view while we're at it? I thought that was entertaining. And so Shiro also says, Ortega means to kill you. Yes. Yes, he does. I said, I managed not to grind my teeth as I said it. Everyone is saying that like I don't know it already. But you do not know how. I frowned and looked down at Shiro. His shaved head gleamed under the streetlight. The war is not your fault. I know that, I said, but my lack, my voice lacked conviction. No, it truly is not your fault. What do you mean? The Red Court has been quietly building its resources for years. How else were they ready to start their attacks in Europe only days after you defeated Bianca? You were not the cause of the war. You were merely the excuse. The Reds would have attacked when they were ready. No, I said, that's not how it is. I mean, damn near everyone I've spoken to on the council. Shiro snorted. Then he lights a a cigar and says, the the council, arrogant, as if nothing significant could happen unless a wizard did it. Shiro talks about Ortega. He is centuries old. He is not from the same world. The world Ortega lived in was savage, brutal. And then he tells him that Regardless of what happens in the duel, he intends to find Harry dead by any means necessary. Maybe before, maybe after, but dead. And so Harry doesn't really say anything about that. He doesn't need to. And he says to Shiro about the cigar, those things will kill you. The old man smiled again. Not tonight. I'd think a good Christian boy wouldn't be puffing down the cigars. Technicality. Shiro said, the cigars? My Christianity, Shiro said. When I was a boy, I liked Elvis. He had a chance, I had a chance to see him in concert when we moved to California. It was a big revival meeting. There was Elvis and then a speaker, and my English was not so good. He invited people backstage to meet the king. Thought he meant Elvis, so I go backstage, he sighed. Found out later I had become a Baptist. I barked out a laugh. You're kidding. No, but it was done. So I tried not to be too bad at being a Baptist. So we have an accidental Baptist, an agnostic, and a devout Catholic as our three Knights of the Cross. Really and I fucking love that. It's fantastic. It's, I mean, it's a great, like, metaphor of, like, you're called to serve. And it doesn't necessarily have to be this, like, grand cause, but, like, people serve. You know, like you, you, you do what you can to help the world around you. And that hits all sorts of different types of people in my mind, at least that's kind of how I read it though. Like you don't have to be obviously in this case in universe, you don't have to be this devout Christian for it to be a knight of the cross. But for me, it's more like anyone can help. You know what I mean? Like anyone can do their part to serve. And it's just I a good metaphor for that. I actually feel like. took this. Um, and this, I feel like, I mean, this is again, completely my view of it i this is how i feel about the world is that you don't have to be 
a good Christian to be a good person and to fight against the bad in the world. That I, and I feel like this is Butcher's kind of perspective on that where I don't know Butcher's background. I don't know a lot about him. But this characterization, this characterization very much tells me that that's that's a view of the world. And that's how I see the world where you can be the most religious person on the planet and a shitty ass human. Oh, yeah. Some of the biggest douchebags I know are super religious and some of yeah. the best Christians I know haven't been to church in decades. I mean, and I don't even mean like best humans. I mean, like actually best Christians. Yeah. Um, but also clearly I, I know a lot of humans who aren't Christians as well. And yeah. very, a lot of them are great people as well. So it's definitely not like, Oh it's yeah. A- I mean, I, I, I love using scripture to win fights because I, <laughs> it's fun, but also, you know, the, like the, you know, the, the guy that stands on the street corner preaching, he's gotten his reward. You know, the person who does their, their shit on, on their own, you know, and certainly you can spread the good news or whatever, but it's the idea of like the people who are like fasting and like, they don't brush their hair and they look like shit. And everyone, so everyone knows how, how good of a devout worshiper they are. Those are the people that like, that's their reward is people know how devout of a worshiper they are. Yes. People, and again, uh, well, yeah, it's just the idea that like, it could be anyone. Yeah. Everyone, everyone's going through their shit, like be the best you can. And I, and I even like his phrasing. Like I figured I'd, I'd want to not be too bad of a Baptist, you know, like yeah. well, I want to be the best Baptist I can be. Yeah. Um, it's just the same, you know, that same kind of mentality that like you, different things are thrust upon different people mm-hmm. do the best, do the best with what you got and, and go from there. A hundred percent. And I really just, I really love that. And it, it very much is, um, I very much have that same belief in the world. I really, really do. A good person is a good person. It doesn't matter what their belief system is. But then he says, uh, then came into this, made the whole thing more simple. I serve. Serve who? Heaven or the divine in nature, the memory of my father's past, my fellow man, myself, all pieces of the same thing. He then tells a parable about three blind men and an elephant where they each touch a different part of the element and they each have a different description of the elephant. And Harry says, oh, I get it. All of them were right. All of them were wrong. They couldn't get the whole picture. Precisely. I am just another blind man. I do not get the whole picture of what transpires in all places. I am blind and limited. I would be a fool to think myself wise and so not knowing what the universe means. I can only try to be responsible with the knowledge, the strength, and the time given to me. I must be true to my heart. Sometimes that isn't good enough, I said. How do you know? And then the cab shows up, and Shio tells him he'll be at Michael's if he needs help. Uh, And Harry said, thank you. Thank me after. Uh, then Susan shows up and she is dressed to fucking kill to go to this event. He realizes that Martin is the driver. All he'd done to disguise himself was don an archetypical, archetypical uniform. And I hadn't even recognized him until second glance. I guess sometimes it's handy to be bland. And so they get in and he puts on the tuxedo. Couldn't think of the word. <laughs> Suddenly it went out. And they, I like, are, I like the description of him putting the tuxedo on in mm-hmm. the car. 
mm-hmm. because like we've all gotten dressed in a moving vehicle and yes. it's, it's all, I mean, in the back of a limo is probably easier than like while driving and like, Oh yeah. May or may not have done before. Cause Same. obviously I wouldn't do that cause I'm safe, but, um, just the, like the struggle of like, and someone watching you do it. Cause you, you cannot look cool. It's always awkward. In a car. Mm-hmm. And so like, it's just that whole, it's just like a dumb scene that like, doesn't nothing major happens. Nothing important. Ha- I just think it's, like so spot on and like yeah. true to life that I love it. It's normalcy. We're, we we talked about that last week about just the like the elements the of normal. Yeah. yeah. And he says that uh he did his best to dress like Roger Moore. Uh another kind of data thing cuz I don't know when this I don't remember when this book came out but it might have been before uh Pierce Brosnan was No, before that uh, was the 90s. Was it? Oh, okay. Okay, then never mind. But he did refer to Roger Moore. Um, which I thought was great. And she says, Hey, what happened to your leather coat? <laughs> the second person he was asked about the damn coat. And I love it. She also got him the coat. Yeah. Oh, totally. <laughs> totally. But yeah, no, I love that. Everyone. Especially because like, it's winter. Like, bro, where's your but coat? E- every single person has asked him about it, which again, just goes to show how much of a part of his identity it is, you know? Very much so. Yeah. So they head on down to the downtown Chicago Marriott. Making our way downtown. Sorry. <laughs> Ooh, okay, okay. Uh, yeah, I nerd out. I'm a total freaking nerd. <laughs> Just singing. Is, does singing make you a nerd? That doesn't sound right. <laughs> I do love me some Yoki. I'll tell you what. Belt one out. At it. <laughs> well, again, karaoke is not about being good or bad. It's just about owning it. Hmm. Which is interesting, because I'm not like a very confident in front of people guy, but you get me doing some Yoki, and I will just fucking belt it out. That's I awesome. Feel, I'll put my whole soul into that microphone. I mean, a couple beers deep, obviously. <laughs> either way. They're at the Marriott, not singing karaoke, because they're doing something dumb. I like that Martin hands her a... Uh, cell phone and says if you get into trouble speed dial one because speed dial used to be a thing that was a thing <laughs> right where on the touch screen is the speed dial <laughs> so as they're heading in there she tells him come on sweetie give me a smile and he does because he's <laughs> when he's scowling he doesn't he, he mm-hmm. won't blend in and then his response is that he smiles in a camouflaging manner it's just like the dumb the dumb like shit that goes on in his head. I just love so much about this this series. Very much identify with the dumb shit that goes on in his head because it goes on in my head too. Oh, absolutely, and presumably others as well, like mine, but maybe not everyone. So I don't know. <laughs> um, but they head in there, and their plan is to just kind of rub elbows and and you know jump around and just try to see if they can figure out what the deal is. They also, you know, Harry his brain immediately goes to finding stairs because they're going to be loading all the art in directly beneath them in the loading docks. So he's already in investigator mode, which I love, but she is more the expert in the party situation, which you wouldn't know based on our past interactions with her at parties. But she does know how to act at this kind of party, presumably. And so he's crushing in his tux. They're walking around. He starts eating, um, shoveling food into his mouth. And then, couple sandwiches in his pocket which i love i think that's spectacular the absolute classiest guy possible he doesn't drink a lot 
which is something we see a lot. He, he, he this is actually a pretty consistent characterization. Mm-hmm. He'll, he'll drink a beer or two at Mac with from Max at home, but with and at Max, but he really doesn't go deep into the drinking, which again, we've seen so many of the noir tropes really be prevalent that that's an interesting one. Yeah. That is almost completely missing from his, you know, character, not in a bad way by any means, but it's just absent, notably absent from this kind of noir archetype Mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, usually there's a bottle of whiskey in the drawer or whatever, you know, just an interesting, I don't, I'm not looking into that at all. I don't think there's much to take from that. I just think it's notable. They go through it and they run into gentleman, John Marcone. Shock me, shock me. That deviant behavior? <laughs> <laughs> is that the podcast is on fire's first Empire Records? It might be. Reference? It might have been. Which is crazy because I make Empire, Re- Re- Empire Records references all how the time. Did we miss, how did we miss the podcast was on fire and it wasn't my fault's Rex Manning Day extravaganza? Oh my God. I don't think it'd be recorded on that day. If we ever record on Rex Manning Day. Oh my God. It's going to come up. It totally is. <laughs> or if you know what, or if we have a release next time there's a sunday Rex mm. yes <laughs> i digress i digress from sorry i quote that movie all the time oh yeah <laughs> I mean, you just said shock me shock me and i <laughs> plugged it in uh shock me shock me shock me with that deviant behavior, deviant behavior. <laughs> oh, this is gracious um, absolutely wonderful <laughs> it's not bridget jones it's the other one right J- no, it is. It is. Oh, it's it is. Renee Zellweger who says Renee, it. It is Renee Zellweger. Okay. Yeah, she says um, it too. There's, uh, there's, 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 another, there's, there's another actress similar to her in look and mm-hmm. sound that isn't the same actress, obviously, because <laughs> there's different human beings apparently in this world. Either way, Marcone scares Harry because he's seen him produce a knife from his sleeve in an interesting fashion that most humans couldn't normally execute. Mm -hmm. And I like to have no nonsense. He is. He's not fake smiling. He doesn't give a shit what's going on. He's here. He knows that everyone knows he's a crime Lord and he doesn't care because what exactly are you going to do about it? Exactly. And, you know, they have a good conversation about art collecting and the, plural of Elvis, which is always important to know. I love that. And we see Cujo Hendricks, his shadow, his uh, right-hand man, his bodyguard. The, I don't know if he's a right-hand man necessarily, but certainly his bodyguard. He's always around. So he definitely has, in my mind, a higher place than just a standard bodyguard. Mm-hmm. But he is certainly that as well. And he seems to have a date. A gorgeous, leggy, blue-eyed, elegant, tall, Nordic angel of a date. Which, whatever. <laughs> and we learn that this is Miss Guard. Gee. Oh, you missed the part about um, Marcone's reaction, where Harry startles him. Oh, I did. Yeah. No, when Harry mentions that there was a hitter out for him, Marcone has a twitch. It isn't much but it shows sorry he didn't even twitch he blinked (laughs) which is like even better but he's startled and he doesn't Mm -hmm. clearly is good enough to not let anyone know except that dresden knows enough to know 
that something is there. He was also, he seems to kind of know his machinations of dealing with things. Because he's usually very low-key. I'm thinking he doesn't blink much. You know, that intimidating person that just doesn't blink. For sure, for sure. Yeah, no, but it's it's interesting that something clearly, Cujo was there. And we had just spent a few minutes, moments here, you, you and I, talking mm-hmm. about how important he is. He's not just a thug. Yeah. In this organization. Some sort of importance. And he, but he was there. But remember, we did, we did have one of Marcone's thugs stepping outside of, or, you know, stepping out, out of line and in Stormfront. Yeah. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying. And why it's important that it was Hendrix that was there. It wasn't a random fixer of Marcone's. Yeah. It was Hendrix. And it we, was his, his from what we've guy. seen over the first five, you know, four and some change novels in this series. Hendrix isn't just a random guy. And I, I don't yeah. think Hendrix he would. is his guy. Yeah. They're definitely connected deeper than him and uh, Gimpy were. Yeah. Right. So it's interesting. And if Hendrix is there, that means Marcone knows what's going on or should or thinks he does. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So it's certainly a miscommunication somewhere along the chain or something interesting is going on. Um, Yes. But yeah, so definitely put a pin in that. And then we meet Miss Guard, who is a consultant from the Monarch, excuse me, from the Monarch Foundation, which we don't learn anything else about. But I do love Susan's reply to Miss Guard saying, I'm a consultant. And she says, regarding what, one wonders. (laughs) The, The sharpest smile of those present. (laughs) <laughs> and then she says security and she lets him know that anytime a poor wandering spirit comes by and she's obviously referencing our good buddy, Bob. Mm-hmm. So she's the one that put up the wards. She's the one that seems to be leaning into the magical side of things. And mm-hmm. we, she's just now coming onto the scene. So again, we talked kind of about how Marcone was leveling up as a baddie. A guy, whatever he is. Again, I want to say baddie or protagonist because he's really just a foil or something. And um, this is one of those ways. He's he's gotten the Monarch Foundation to send over a consultant, and she is running interference on the magic, the spiritual side, mm-hmm. which is interesting. She's got something going on. Absolutely. And so I do love the reference where again, it's one of those where he means it, kind of sarcastically but i take it at face value where she says susan says what a charmer you are such diplomacy and he says me and kissinger (laughs) who sucked and so like the cosby line i just take that as face value yeah (laughs) as opposed to the joke he's trying to make and it's still funny to me (laughs) Uh, so they decide that, as I mentioned, spoiler alert in the intro to this pod, that Marcone is probably the buyer, which again raises more questions than it does answers. Mm-hmm. Right? Very we true. know he, we know he's got the money to buy it. We know he has the connections to buy it. But what the fuck does he want with the shroud? What's the reason exactly? Exactly. And but remember my crackpot theory about him is that he's. Got more going on than we're aware of. Oh, of course. And I mean, he absolutely does. 
Um, I like the vague crackpot theories that have to be right. Um, <laughs> you've been more specific in the past. I, I know. I'm just, I I'm know. just, I'm just joshing with you. But um, he definitely is starting to show some interest in this side of the street. Yeah. Which when he was doing that before, remember it was reaching out to Harry to get him to stop being involved or Mm -hmm. to protect him from these werewolves. Right. It hasn't ever been to intentionally interject himself into this world. Defensive. Exactly. Rather than offensive. Yeah. Now he's making a move and we don't Um, know why uh, he's making that move or what it could mean. Yeah. And it's kind of, I mean, it has potential to be real, real, real wonky in here. Oh, absolutely. And again, there, this isn't a tiny scene, right? The supernatural, the wonky, the occult scene mm-hmm. that Harry touched on earlier, the just the wizardy side of the block yeah. isn't tiny in Chicago. It's not massive, right? But it's it's not like it's just Marcone and Harry operating yeah. in, in these circles. So it could certainly escalate a lot of the things we're talking about beyond even you know we also have a war going on so there's a lot a lot going on here and an interesting time for marcone to make his move and we don't really know any of the reasoning yet why i was just gonna say my curiosity lies in the why why is it timed like this and it it does very much have me curious so the when (laughs) why why now yeah no i got why is he doing this you know like why 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 now so, I mean, it, it is, but it, it adds to the, the levels of the story and I love it. Yeah. Full stop. We have escape. We have dance fighting. Mm-hmm. Kind of like Brazilian. What's it called? <laughs> I don't know. Oh. I don't know what it's what's, called, but I know what you're talking about. Oh, what is it called? I'm and, looking this up. Oh, uh, you need to. Yes. That needs a word associated with it. I hate that. I can't remember these things. I'm right there with you. I do that to myself all the time. Capoeira. Capoeira. Yes. Um, it's Brazilian dance fighting, except it's uh, American waltz fighting. Um, <laughs> and they're not actually fighting. He's just they're using... eluding. Yeah, but he's using dancing as a ploy, which just made me think of capoeira, even though I couldn't think yeah. of the word capoeira. But uh, they're just dance fighting their way down the... They're dancing mm-hmm. to avoid the security because yeah. they're not going to, you know, bowl over the rich, richy, rich, 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 rich groups that are here to actually buy art and disrupt their party so harry knows you know basically blending in by dancing and there's a good back and forth where susan tells him you told me you couldn't dance and he says not in clubs and stuff but then he talks about rock and roll which is funny he has no idea what happens in clubs and stuff (laughs) he is incredibly sheltered but he learned to dance because one of his side jobs was as a dance partner for old folks homes basically yeah <laughs> which i, which I love that's fantastic like it's spectacular because i like i always joke around about my uh very very random assortment of past jobs and like my past careers how it has really led me to have some amazing skills but this is that this is harry's moment for that and i absolutely love that i had a math teacher once that uh he was friends with Johnny, my my dad's uh-huh. old buddy, and my my dad, my buddy's good, my good buddy's dad, whatever, uh, bonus dad, and um, so I knew like some of his background, and he had been like in the circus. He was like a lion tamer, oh and he gosh. was like, he'd worked at the, at zoos. He, he just had all these like weird, odd jobs, 
he was like <laughs> did bicycle maintenance or something. I don't know. The guy had like all sorts of stuff going on. And like one time me and my buddy in in class asked him, like, were you a lion tamer? He's like, oh, of course not. And as he's walking away, he said it loud enough that we could hear him, but like not to us. It was tigers. <laughs> That's spectacular. Oh, just, That's made me awesome. think of, just made me think of Mr. Carroll. So Mr. Carroll, wherever you are, <laughs> sorry I didn't try harder in math class. <laughs> That's uh, spectacular. Yeah, odd, odds and ends to try to get you through your twenties. We've all been there, and um, okay. so they, they <laughs> decide they're going to hit up Vanilla Martin and get him to use his distraction powers. Mm-hmm. And they're not really sure what that's going to look like, so they're basically just waiting for the signal. Like, what's the signal? You'll know it when you see it, kind of thing. Yeah, and so they just wait, and he drives his car into the hotel. <laughs> It's, I mean, that's a good distraction technique. It certainly was distracting. But it, what it also tells me is that he's part of something bigger because a normal person would just get arrested for something like that. And a short time later, we see him in a rented sedan. In a sedan. Definitely. So not the limo, right? Which is. Oh, right. yeah. Um, but that was something that I really like. There's something more. There's something more. I don't know what it is yet, but there's something more. I'm going to do the Harry finally gives Martin a, a, a compliment. His first mm-hmm. one yet. And he says, I'll say this for Martin. When he distracts, he distracts. <laughs> it's a strong work ethic. Susan agreed. <laughs> uh, so they get out. They, they go um, through the kitchen and they're going to do a tracking spell with the threads he got from Father Vincent. And he uses a permanent marker on the tile floor just to <laughs> strike a blow for anarchy. <laughs> Which I love that. Just so dumb, but also something Harry would absolutely do, I feel like. Oh, a hundred percent. A hundred percent. Is that like a crusty old rich people party? Like, yeah, he's going to fuck stuff up just what, just because he can. So they... Just, just on principle. In this case, they use a wind-up duck as their... <laughs> tool for the tracking spell Mm -hmm. he tapes the thread to or attaches the thread to the duck's beak and they wind it up and they let it go and he does a little tracking spell and it finds out or it tracks towards the merchandise and it's just like all the other tracking spells we've seen it doesn't really know how to do Anything but as the crow flies, it basically just gives direct, you know, a straight line. Mm-hmm. So he ter- basically d- repeats the spell at all the intersections, and then it'll tell him kind of j- vaguely where to go. And they, they may have to zigzag a little bit, but they'll get there in the end. Mm-hmm. And they get to a big old laundry room, and they realize where they need to be. They realize, excuse me, they realize they are where they need to be. Mm-hmm. We get a quick glimpse into Susan's set of superpowers we've seen before, but when she smelled the blood on Harry, but she smells guards perfume as two shadowy figures run by them mm-hmm. um, down, the, down the hall, which I just like. Which is little... she? He smells it. She didn't. He smelled it. Oh. But remember, he has done that before. Yeah, no, he's he all, he, all his senses someone. are good, but I didn't catch that. That's interesting. Yeah. Huh. Then I don't like that because Susan would have been able to know because she smelled blood on Harry and ocean water or whatever yeah 
Okay, that's fine. I don't care. I just thought it was interesting when it was Susan. It's just annoying when it's not Susan. <laughs> but well, but the thing is too with that though he he used that smell of vision before. Yeah, but this isn't a this isn't a this is more like listening. It's smelling with a capital S, right? He's just good at it and he focuses. Quite likely. I think. He does say smell within a capital S, so. Does he? Yeah. Well, it, oh, but yeah. it starts a sentence. It, so it, I don't starts know a, actually... it starts a sentence. Yeah, yeah. No, no. I was thinking about just a, as a skill that he's really good at, which he's never referenced. So I don't think it is smelling with a capital S. It's just he's got strong senses. And I think he's just observant because he does mention it before. Yeah. And he, he would pick up on their perfume because he's. Yeah. Weird, weird around girls. Um, <laughs> so they like get that, that weird all boys school kid. Again, he has had a very strange youth. Mm-hmm. So adolescence. So he is in a weird spot. But um, we find that Anna Valmont is in this big laundry room. Harry goes through a a great. You know, very classic hijinks movie mm-hmm. trope where you go through the, uh, what do you call them? Air ducts, which is fine. It is a fun hijinks movie type situation. So he goes through and, you know, there's back and forth where Marcone is trying to like squeeze a few extra minutes out of it. And she's like, fuck off. I'm going to destroy this thing. This job's already cost way more than I expected. Mm-hmm. And you're going to pay me more money for being a jerk to me. And he ends up paying it. And I do like that. She's like surprised when he pays it. And I think what that line is, is more her being surprised that he paid the extra million. Yeah. That she just threw on top of it. Like, fuck you. You're going to pay an extra million to tell me for telling me my job. And then he pays it. She's like, oh, damn. Should have asked right? for two. I think is what that uh, exclamation is. Although great Jupiter's balls is just a wonderful expression that really should be repeated more often than anything else, especially with a cute British accent attached to it. As he's creeping up on Valmont, she tells Marcone that it's wired to a transmitter and it's going to explode until she, you know, gets the fuck out and gets out of there. So Harry's like, was about to steal it and leave, but now he realizes he can't quite do that. So he uses the duck as a pretend gun, sticks the duck into her back. (laughs) So stupid. It's great. I love the vision of him holding her up with a duck. And remember back when she first got him on the boat and she said, put down the shroud. And he said, here it is like he was going to hand it to her and see if she would get close. And she didn't. She said, no, 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 like on the table. Maybe it was yeah. even with a stick, but it didn't matter. But basically it was the same thing. And so yeah. she says, she does the same move. Mm-hmm. And he's like, where's the transmitter? It's in my left jacket pocket. And so he reaches into her pocket and she clobbers him, which is just such a great, I don't want to say callback because it's not, but it's a, uh, she's about is fair play. Sure. How the, tur- how the turntables. She is absolutely a pro and he is absolutely not at this kind of thing. He's a pro certainly at what he does, but this isn't it. Not at this kind of thing. And so I just love showing her expertise and her ability because Harry wouldn't be the best at everything. And if he was, that wouldn't be interesting, right? It's just great storytelling, great, great world building, great character Mm -hmm. development. 
And it's emphasizing that he is flawed also. Exactly. Exactly. In oh, so many ways. And where I love that she says, I was fairly certain you wouldn't shoot, but the duck goes beyond ridiculous. And then he says, <laughs> you won't shoot either. So you might as well put the gun. Bam. <laughs> Oh, poor sweet ter- child. I'm terribly sorry. Were you saying something? <laughs> Nothing important. <laughs> just so good. And I hate that the Denarians ruined this moment because this is such a good right? event. I could watch them cook for another half hour. <laughs> but obviously the timing where he tells her they're demons mm-hmm. and then she says, I don't need help. They're dead. They're both dead. Whoever these people are, whoever these things are, they can't hurt me anymore. And we see some shadows, a lean crouch with shadowy tendrils of razor-edged hair slithering around in a writhing cloud, a sinuous and strong-looking man who had traded in his legs for the scaled body of an enormous snake, and a human, a man in an overcoat, his hands in his pockets, but the shadows the shape cast writhed and boiled madly. Cannot hurt you anymore. No matter how many times I hear that one, it's always a fresh challenge. This is one of those goddamn son of a bitch moments. And Harry realizes that the demonic female with the Joan Jet hair, great description, was the same critter that attacked them in the harbor. And the... Description of the second demonic being is kind of, I was trying to set it in my head and it's uh, covered in dark gray scales, flecked with bits of rust, sorry, rust red. From shoulders to waist, he looked more or less human. From the neck up and the waist down, he looked like some kind of flattened serpent. No legs, coils slithered out behind him, scales rasping over the floor. So he's a snake with a torso of a man. Yeah, which is so odd. Yeah, just an, a very strange visualization. Yeah. One little, two little, three little denarians, or so I judged the last of them. Uh, and he's the one that looked human was very typical looking. He wore expensive looking clothes, but and he had a slender gray tie hanging loosely around his throat. He was a man of medium height and build, short dark hair, with a streaked through with an off-center blaze of silver. And he says, well, well, what have we here? Our, our bold thief and her. I got the impression that he would have been glad to begin one of those trademark bantering conversations all the urbane bad guys seem to be such big fans of. But before he could finish the sentence, Anna Valmont turned with her little pistol and shot him three times in the chest. <laughs> <laughs> I do love and- that. He kind of just looks down at his chest, and that's when Harry realizes that old gray that gray tie is an old gray piece of rope tied in a hangman's noose. So that's interesting. Mm-hmm. I do not appreciate being interrupted. I hadn't even gotten around to the introductions. There are propriety proprieties to observe, young woman. A girl after my own heart, Anna Belmont had a quick reply. She shot him some more. <laughs> I do think it's interesting that he calls her by first and last name every single time he mentions her. Oh, interesting. Uh, well, he no, he does refer to her as Valmont, but never Anna. Just Anna Valmont or Valmont. Just, just interesting. And I, I uh, love, I love how 
quickly you've picked up on the importance of names and how much these things pop to you. Because again, I, I, I've, I know the story front and front to back. Um, and I wouldn't, names are so important. I know they are, but I wouldn't have picked up on all these little minutia that you do. Oh. And minu- <laughs> well, minutia makes it sound meaningless. It's not, yeah. none of, none of it is. I guarantee it's just interesting how much the of this, the weird like, shit I'm picking up on. I, I love it. Awesome. Your brain doesn't work like normal boys and girls. And I mean that usually, <laughs> no, in a, usually in a good way, not always, but usually <laughs> we mean that in a good way. It is interesting. And, uh, the, <laughs> I mean, literally, <laughs> truly your brain attacks you for days. <laughs> it's different. It does. It does. Um, so <laughs> she's shooting him from less than five feet away. Uh, she's shooting him right in the chest and he's kind of doing this move along hand gesture until she empties the clip. Where was I? He said proprieties per the feminine demon with the wild hair (laughs) proprieties father. The father is capitalized almost like priest father. Interesting. that could just be a, typographical situation um he says what would thief. You... Hmm? okay interesting well in my in i mean after you know the reading the next chapter or so um the way it's i mean the creepy thing that there's a creepy moment too between them but it's sort of like he's not father as in paternal but father as in he's some sort of like a title leader. Yes. Does that mm. make sense? I mean, just, oh, again, no, no, it, it does. Again, that, so, again, so this is really not the first time I've read them, read them, mm-hmm. but like, it's the first time I've really hammered, you know, hunkered down and read them. Mm-hmm. Whereas I've done most, most of my interaction with this series has been through audiobooks, And I think yeah. I've been pretty clear about that. Yeah. But most of it has. And so a lot of these capitalization Interestingnesses, um, I think is the, the technical term. Interestingnesses uh-huh. are interesting. I, that I don't, well, I, have, I haven't seen them. before this, you know, this week, for instance, I haven't yeah. really recognized that that said propriety's father with a capital F, right? So I've never yeah. really spent time thinking about it. And I well, do know. Well, I, I, I do the audiobooks as well. But as we go through them, I have the text in front of me. And you know, it's just extra things, noticing extra things often. Oh, yeah. Um, Which often feed into things I already have rolling around in my skull. Yeah, no, I like to go through it <laughs> at least once each. Mm-hmm. And because sometimes the way that Marsters read stuff kind of prejudices you one way or the other. Not in a bad way at all. In a, in a very good way, because he's really fucking good at what he does, oh, right? He's really good. But I like also seeing it on the page and... um for stuff like that, that I yeah. have never caught before because I've never cared to, you know what I mean? Like it, we're doing I, so much textual analysis that it's just so much fun to notice that sort of crap. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and my, you know, my inner, um, you know, where, you know, where I, I've dabbled in writing before and it's fascinating, those sorts of things. Uh, and, but the thing too, is that in eBooks, they could just be typos because there've been a couple of misspellings in this eBook. Um, <laughs> But that one stood out because, you know, when we see the listening, listening is capitalized. And father was just just sort of a, because we have been dealing with priests in this book. 
is the other part of it. Um, mm-hmm. which kind of emphasized that to me. So this gentleman in the with the hangman's noose around his neck says there seems to be little point. Thief, you have stolen something I have an interest in. Give it to me at once and you are free to go on your way. Refuse me and I will become annoyed with you. And Anna Valmont is frozen in terror. With good fucking reason. Um, But Harry realized those gunshots are going to bring someone running. And so he reaches into Valmont's pocket, draws out the little black box that looked vaguely like a remote control to a VCR. Held it up and says, hey, Bogart, you ever want you and the Wonder Twins back off or the bedsheet gets it. <laughs> so much wonderfulness in that entire sentence. <laughs> it really is. We've got, you know, the Bogart, the Wonder Twins, the bedsheet gets it. I love that so much. <laughs> and he says, click, boom, no more shroud. <laughs> You're bluffing. Like the bedsheet matters to me. The man stared at me without moving. But his shadow did. It writhed and undulated, and the motion made me feel vaguely carsick. His eyes went from me to Valmont to the courier's message tube on the floor. A remote detonator, I take it. You do realize you are standing next to the device? I realized it. I had no idea how big the incendiary was. But that was all right, since I had no idea which button to push to set it up there. Yep. <laughs> You would kill yourself rather than surrender the shroud. Rather than letting you kill me. Who said I would kill anyone? Francisca Garcia mentioned it. The man's shadow boiled, but he watched me with flat, calculating eyes. Perhaps we can reach an agreement. Which would be? He withdrew a heavy caliber handgun from his pocket and pointed it at Anna Valmont. Give me the remote, and I won't kill this young woman. The demon groupie headman uses a gun. You've got to be kidding me. Call me Nicodemus. Trendy, I know, but one can only watch so many dismemberments before they become predictable. He pointed the gun at the terror-stricken Valmont and said, Shall I count to three? I threw on a puppet's Transylvanian accent. Count as high as you want, but you won't get one detonator. Ah, ah, ah. (laughs) When did I love that? So fucking much. And he says, one, do you want me to hand it over on reflex or something? You've done such things repeatedly when there is a woman in danger, Harry Dresden. Two. Ruh-roh. So this Nicodemus character knows Harry. He knows who he is. He knows how he is. Which is very interesting. Oh, yeah. He did his homework. Um, well, the other thing is that Nicodemus was a Pharisee and he was, um, he had interactions with Jesus. And so uh, he's, let me see. Here it is. Uh, he was impressed by the miracles of Jesus, but not fully convinced that he was the Messiah. Which feels very interesting here. They say that last one part one more time. Nicodemus was impressed by the miracles of Jesus but not fully convinced he was the Messiah. Interesting. Right? So I just I also mean, re- real quickly want to touch on the, uh, the mm-hmm. Muppet thing. A, we should get a Muppet Dresden yesterday. Oh my God, yes. But this is as much for you as anything else. That someone was t- online talking about how A, every movie, instead of 
Disney doing live action remakes mm-hmm. because they also own Jim Henson Studio. They should also do mu- instead rather do Muppet remakes of everything. Yes. But the best idea was Beauty and the Beast. Yes. Everyone, everyone's a Muppet except the Beast is a human and everyone talks about just a normal looking dude. Yeah. And everyone talks about how hideous and disgusting the Beast is. Yes. And then at the end he turns back into a Muppet and everyone's. <laughs> yes. A hundred percent. I've seen that. It's amazing. That and Muppets Pride and Prejudice. Oh. Um, those are the two things I need in my life. Muppets Beauty and the Beast Muppet and Muppets everything. Pride and Prejudice. Muppet Pride and Prejudice, huh? Okay. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. It'd be amazing. Fair, fair enough. Um, Pride and Prejudice is my favorite book, so anything Pride and Prejudice. I will watch any re- any version of it. Like, there was a horrible version of it that was set with Mormons in Utah. Oh, my God. Pride it was, and Prejudice? Yes. Oh, that sounds amazing. So horrible. Oh, I want to watch that. So yesterday. horrible. But it was like set in modern times, obviously, and it was just so bad. Um, and the only one I've ever seen that really works really good in modern times is a YouTube series called The Lizzie Bennett Diaries. And it is so good because it's just vlogging. She's uh, Elizabeth Bennett is a vlogger. And it's just it's really great. Anyway, moving <laughs> on. <laughs> I can go on and on about that. I have a really good friend, uh, Nathan, who hates Pride and Prejudice. Hates it with a passion. Well, has he seen the Mormon version yet? I (laughs) don't think he has. He hates it so much. It's spectacular. Like, like we're both big book nerds. Like we both love to read. And that's one book that like is such a point of contention with him. He hates it so much. It's fantastic. Um, (laughs) Okay. Moving on. Um, This Nicodemus knew me. He wasn't going to, sorry. he, And he'd picked a pressure tactic that wasn't going to take long, however it turned out. So he knew I was stalling for time. Crap. I wasn't going to be able to bluff him. Hold on, I said. He thumbed back the hammer of the revolver and aimed it at Valmont's head. So much for cleverness. All right, I snapped. And I tossed the remote to him. He lowered his gun hand, turning to catch the remote in his left hand. I waited till his eyes flicked from Valmont to the remote, and then I pulled up every bit of power I could muster in that instant, hurled my right hand forward, and snarled, Fuego! Fuego! Boom, motherfucker! And everybody slams back. Um, and, I mean, this is his Fuegos are pretty strong. The heat was unbearable, an oven-hot flash that sucked the air from my lungs. Backwash from the explosion drove me back across the floor, rolling and I, until I hit the wall myself. I well, cowered. So I, hmm? I'm sorry. No, it's okay. Go ahead. Finish, finish that thought, that quote. I cowered and shielded my face as the scarlet flames went out, replaced with a sudden cloud of ugly black smoke. I just love, and again, we've seen this before in universe, but how much magic is physics? Right? Oh, yeah. how, how they have to interact where it's a surge of superheated air that expands as it as it lashes out. Right. I mean, like, I'm not a fucking science person. Oh, I thought you were going to say wizard. <laughs> Listen, I'm not, I don't lie to our <laughs> listeners, so I would never say that. Um, but I like I, you know, it, I certainly don't know the mechanics of thermodynamics. Is that what that is, right? 
I probably. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't even know what word's appropriate. <laughs> you don't I know about what, what fucking discipline we're talking about. But I just love that it's not, oh, fire! Everyone had to run away from the fireball. Mm-hmm. It's, no, superheated air was expanding and black, you know, blasting everyone out, right? Like, it, it's such Slamming a small... Slamming people around. But it's a small, subtle thing that, like, doesn't matter, but it matters because he talks about it, and it, it comes up, you know, constantly about how physics and magic interact, right? Like, you are creating something from nothing, sort of, but it's it's not from nothing. It's from his will. I think the only difference between this universe and ours is that your will yeah. has an actual amount of potential energy. And so you're turning that will into, in this case, kinetic and fire energy, right? Like, it's it's just cool that it has to line up and, and fit, even if I'm too too dumb to know how everything would clunk together in real life. And maybe I actually am curious now with, like, some of our, you know, oh, yeah. um, more scientific listeners, how are, will, will chime in and tell me how dumb I am for thinking any of this is even quasi realistic. I think that's the point. It's like it's quasi physics, yeah. right? But it's to a guy. But he actually mentions quasi physics at one point. So yeah, but but to a guy who like doesn't who understands enough to know that kind of broad strokes of these things, it's just it's just cool that it's not just oh, there's a fireball, everyone dodge and like pat out their fiery shirt fires you know what i mean it's just kind of a cool twist on this type of magic and again we talked last week about how kind of grounding this stuff the difference between this and high fantasy like Ah, grounding it in the real world and all the mundane things like the air sucking out of his lungs and all what all that shit that happens is just really a cool way to do magic and i like cool i like magic and i like cool stuff and when you do cool magic it's like double plus good i agree Hundred percent. It's a twofer. <laughs> Absolutely wonderful. Um, and the fire spell ha- had been something I wouldn't have done if I'd had an option. This is a last ditch effort. That's why I had made a blasting rod. Down and dirty, fast magic was difficult, dangerous, and likely to run out of control. The blasting rod helped me focus that kind of magic contain it it helped me avoid explosions that left heat burns on my lungs <laughs> and so he grabs out anna valmont and hauls her through the the uh ventilation shaft sir and i've got a ventilation shaft she's gotten pretty beat up one of her eyebrows was gone and one side of her face was red and blistered and so they crawl into the sh- air shaft and into the laundry room and susan's there and Susan says, what's happening? We need to be gone right now. Susan nodded at me, then shoved me hard. I went stumbling sideways and into the wall of drying machines, slamming my shoulder and head. I looked back to see the demon girl's hair pureeing its way out of the vents, and then the rest of the denarian coming out, scales, claws, and all, rolling to all fours with dizzying grace. As fast as the denarian was, Susan was faster. The demon girl came up with those rich lips split into a snarl, and Susan drove her heel right into them. She kicked hard enough that something crunched, and the demon girl screamed in surprise and pain. Susan, I shouted, look! I was going to say out, but there wasn't time. Half a dozen bunches of tendrils drove at Susan like spears. She dodged them. 
all of them. She had to fling herself across the room to the washing machines to do it, and then the Denarian regained her balance and pursued. More blades drove towards Susan, but she ducked to one side, one hand ripping out the door to the one of the washing machines. Susan slammed the door down on the demon girl's hair and without missing a beat, kicked the Denarian's reverse-jointed knee in sideways. The demon girl shrieked in pain, struggling. I knew she was strong enough to pull free of the washing machine before long, but for the moment, she was trapped. Susan reached up and tore a fold-down ironing board from where it was mounted on a nearby wall. Then she spun around and slammed it edge-on into the Denarian. Susan hit her three times in the wounded leg, the small of her back, and the back of her neck. The Denarian shrieked at the first two blows and then collapsed <laughs> into a limp heap at the third. Holy fucking shit. Wow, Susan. <laughs> and uh, she says, I'll have Martin pick us up the exit. What exit? Susan pointed wordlessly to a fire escape diagram mm. on the wall. So not only is she busting up the joint, busting up the baddie, she's aware of where the fucking exits are. Girl after my own heart. And Harry says, I felt a surge of magical energies. The air around Susan grew darker and then coalesced into a cloud of shadows. Within a heartbeat, the cloud deepened, then solidified into a writhing tangle of snakes of all sizes and colors wrapped around Susan. Susan begins to freak out. Yeah, reasonably yeah, so. Yeah, that's when you freak out. This is this is freak out time. <laughs> right? This is completely reasonable freak out time. And it's the Snake Man Denarian. One not quite human hand was held out towards Susan. His serpent mouth was rolling out hissing sounds. And I could feel the thrumming tension in the air between the Denarian's outstretched hand and Susan. Rage flooded over me, and I barely stopped myself from throwing out another blast of raw spellfire, the Snake Man. With that much rage behind it, I'd probably have killed everyone in the room. Instead, I reached out to the air in the hallway, beyond the Denarian, and pulled it all towards him, the words, Ventas Servitas, thundering off my lips. Column of wind hit the Snake Man from behind, lifted him from the floor, and flung him across the room. Susan flung herself onto the ground, rolling, tearing at snakes, flinging them away. She's tearing at her own skin, trying to remove these snakes. No, thank you. No, 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 no. So Harry formed a counterspell and hoped to God I didn't misjudge how much power I'd need to undo it. Too little and the spell might actually get stronger and like a steel forged in flame too much and the counter spell could unleash the power of both spells in a random destructive flash of energy i focused my will on a cloak of serpents over susan and lashed out with at them with my power letting loose the counter spell with an ensnarled and us. the counter spell worked and the snakes go away poor susan's a red hot mess now um and she's got darkness on her skin that looks like bruises but then it turns into tattoos, all curves and points, Maori style. It began on her cheek under one eye and wound down around her face, around the back of her neck, and on down over one collarbone and into the neckline of her evening gown. It emerged again, winding down along her left arm and left leg, finishing at the back of her hand and over the bridge of her foot. Her eyes are too big and too dark and filled with tears that didn't fall. 
Snake Man looks at her and says, Fellowship! Fellowship here! And they get the fuck out. There's a little bit more of tossling with the Snake Man. And Fellowship? He asks Susan. Not now. And they get the fuck out. They went up a flight of stairs. And she knocks out a couple of the gorillas and red security blazers. And I kind of felt bad for them. Getting punched out by a dame was not going to have their, their goon resumes. Just goon resumes. Mm-hmm. And Martin looked, took one look at Susan and stiffened. Then he hurried over to us. Take her. Martin picked up Vermont, put her in the limo. And got behind the wheel. Susan slipped in after her, and I slung the tube off my shoulder to get in. And then something grabbed him from behind. He tries to, you know, slap the car door, but closes it. He tries to toss the tube, but something tangled around his waist. And it's his freaking shadow. And he says, excellent. I have the shroud, and I have you, Harry Dresden. What do you want? I rasp. Just talk. I want to have a polite conversation with you. Blow me. His eyes darkened with cold anger, and he drew out the heavy revolver. Great, Harry, I thought. That's what you get for trying to be a hero. You get to eat a six-pack of nine-millimeter bonbons. But Nicodemus didn't shoot me. He clubbed me over the head with the butt of the gun. Light flashed in my eyes, and I started to fall. I was out before my cheek hit the ground. Well, fuck. Rut-row. Big rut-row. Sorry, I just looked at something quick. So we've learned in the past about running water. Again, going all the way back to Stormfront, where his first date with Susan where they had to they're trying to run across a street that always gets flooded in the rain to try to separate them from the demon that was chasing them way back when but so we know that running water shuts down magical energy and so right now harry is tied up under running water which sounds miserable and freezing and awful and cold and freezing cold and miserable and freezing. And he slowly starts to kind of wake up and come to, and we, we get a good kind of world building understanding of what the running water does, right? He's reaching out for the magic and it slithers away from him. I like slithers, just a good word in general. Um, yeah. Especially when you're describing something as amorphous as magical power, right? Like we don't know what it feels like to gather it. So we don't really know, but just that, idea of it slithering away from him is just interesting to me. I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like one of those things where like he could have chosen so many words there. And I think slithered is probably the most interesting he could have chosen beyond it not giving much meaning at all. It's just interesting. Um, <laughs> but obviously when you're sitting tied up under cold water, it's also cold. I don't know if I mentioned that above. <laughs> and so yes, all of yes, his joints is. are hurting and it just sucks. It sucks basically to be here. And after he wakes up, he's there for a few hours. Just sitting there in the cold, 
being cold and stiff and cold and miserable and cold and tied up and cold. And he realizes they're in Undertown, which we've seen before, the tunnels underneath Chicago, kind of, I guess Chicago is just constantly sinking into a swamp. And so all the stuff that used to Like Seattle. Like Seattle or isn't uh, Mexico City also that way. Um, so there's all these like streets and sidewalks and tunnels and stuff down here. They also, the tunnels down there were where they initially housed the Manhattan Project before realizing, hey, let's not house the Manhattan Project in the second biggest city in the country. I think it was, I think it was second biggest. Either way, a couple of goons come up and he tries to chit chat with them and neither of them have any interest in what he's selling. No, no conversation whatsoever. And he says, tough room. And then <laughs> Nicodemus said, you'll have to, you'll have to forgive them. I like to encourage discretion in my employees. Says, you don't let your goons talk. I remove their tongues. Like an a. Oh, oh, it's grosser than you could possibly think, Liz. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> he does say that he offers an excellent dental plan, though. <laughs> Which you have to if you don't have a tongue, right? That's true. Um, he refers to dr- he, he refers to d- dental a lot. Does he? Yes. There's a lot of dental comments in this chapter. I guess. <laughs> um, well, Harry says that you're, you'll need the good dental because the formal wear police will knock your teeth out because it's a rented tux. Yeah. You're going to like the way you look. I guarantee it. Unless you fuck us, because that's men, men's warehouse is coming for you. <laughs> Nicodemus refers to Harry as little Maggie's youngest, which is yes. of note. Yes. Certainly, as his mother's name was Margaret. And as an only child, it's interesting to hear that you're the youngest. I guess technically it's not. I mean, you're the youngest and the oldest. Yeah. but He's also the middle child. certainly we don't know much about his mom and we mentioned i we touched on this last week that he had a dream about a woman who he didn't recognize but who looked vaguely familiar and i wanted i wanted to talk about it in the analysis but i'm not very good at my job and so i forgot (laughs) um i did make a note and then i just blasted right through it and i i think it might have been his mother was kind of my thought. This isn't that's yeah. This isn't me using knowledge from later. This is just me thinking. Um again, it's never explained, but that was my take on it. And I wanted to see what your thoughts were. That that makes sense though. Yeah, I think that was his mother in the dream, is what I would guess. Yeah. Vaguely familiar, yeah. And because he talks about how he's seen a picture of her. Yeah. But he's and he wouldn't really it wouldn't be someone who's totally familiar because I mean he's never met her. Exactly. Um, he obviously wears her pentacle, but it's, we don't know who that was and it could have been anyone. And certainly mm-hmm. Butcher has some way cleverer ideas than I've ever had, but <laughs> it could very possibly have been his mother. And so now this, yeah. in my mind, this is the second time in two weeks that she's come up Yeah. Um, for better or worse. And again, just like you know, he mentions uh, Chang Zagaroth, the demon who brought up his mother in full moon. 
trying to trick him into giving up his whole name or part, you know, some other piece of mm-hmm. his soul. And he says that they both work for the same organization. So you probably couldn't trust the Denarian either. Um, and he's probably lying, but what if he wasn't? Yeah. So again, this is something we've seen bear out over, you know, really there wasn't a ton of it in novel one, but certainly since <laughs> full moon, this has been kind of an, a burning ember. A thread that is pulled through. Yeah, it's deep on the back burner, but it's been there for sure for now at least four novels. And maybe there's more references in book one that um, we just didn't notice. Or we may have noticed and mentioned them on the podcast. And I don't remember stuff from yesterday, much less 28, 30 <laughs> podcasts ago. But um, but certainly it's been a, a theme that we've really hit on hard from book two. And it's just kind of cool that we're still getting it here and we don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we do get the next dental reference that Lissy kind of touched on where he wants, he doesn't want this to be torture. He wants it to not be a, text, a trip to the dentist. Which but, is pulling teeth. Yes. Is what I, how I got that one as oh, pulling yeah. teeth. And here he said, what kind of freaking dentist you go to? Ortho Desaad, smoking Joe Mandela DDS. <laughs> so, uh, you, which I, you probably have even I heard of Kane, the WWF E wrestler. Yeah, the Big Red Machine. He's mm-hmm. cultural consciousness wise, he's right there. Um, one of his initial bits was Dwight Yankum DDS. I want to say. Okay. So, like early in his career, he was you know you wrestle under different personalities, and eventually you kind of find your role that sticks or don't, as the case may be. Mm-hmm. But he wrestled as a demented. This to me has nothing to do with this novel. A demented dentist, but it's just so ridiculous that that was a character in the late '90s WWF. Back then, it was <laughs> WWF. Dwight Yankum DDS, and but somehow he parlayed that into being Kane, a job that he had for decades. And then I think he's a mayor of some town in Tennessee or something like that. Uh, <laughs> so it's shaped his life a little bit more than Dwight Yankum DDS did. But uh, there you go, Liz. I'm chock full of dumb thoughts. It's not just dumb references up here. It's also dumb facts. I'm like, hey, you know, the two sides of my character. (laughs) I love a good dumb fact, too, though. I mean, I'm a fount of useless knowledge is what my mother says. Our mother says she probably says font. No, she says fount. Maybe. I don't know. It's font. Okay. Yes. I mean, it's. (laughs) Says I'm a font of useless knowledge and whatever. Found font. Okay. I think it is spelled font, but I think it's pronounced font. Okay. I don't know. I don't know. I hate when this happens. Well, my thing to, okay. You read too much. This is something, yeah, this is something Brennan makes fun of me for all the time. And that I mispronounce words because I learned them in books. There is no difference or rather the only difference is your preference. Yeah. Font or found. There you go. There you go. So you're both a fount of useless knowledge and a font of useless knowledge. <laughs> you're two now things. U- you're now two useless things. Knowledge, useless knowledge is increased with that and, because of that. Statement. That and capoeira. Yes, hundred percent. I hadn't closed the capoeira tab yet. <laughs> Call back. Goodness gracious. Hi, Dios mio. And um, there's a dumb back and forth that we'll touch on later. So. One of Nicodemus's tongueless goons sets up three folding chairs, covers the table with a white cloth. Just getting, you know, getting 
breakfast together. And he says, you faced a great many dangerous beings, but by and large, they have been idiots. I try to avoid <laughs> that whenever I'm able, and that is why you are bound and held under running water. <laughs> You're afraid of me, I said. Boy, you've destroyed three rival practitioners of the arts, a noble of the vampire courts, and even one of the fairy queens. They underestimated you, as well as your allies, which I love that line. Mm-hmm. I don't. I suppose you could think of your current position as a compliment. Yeah, I muttered, shaking freezing water out of my eyes. You're way too kind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I do love, we've talked a lot about Harry not getting what people think of him. And then we've talked a lot about the flip side of that, how powerful people see him as and all this. Mm-hmm. And I, I think. That, and how he doesn't see himself as very powerful either. Oh, sure. But I love that little throwaway in the middle of that. It's not even a line. It's half of, you know, it's just mm-hmm. a, a, ta- you know, a clause that they slumped on to the end of a sentence that you yeah. could have just stopped with. They underestimated you, but. It's a good one. I guess now that I think of it is, are they underestimating your allies or do your allies, His allies are under misestimating him is what I got. That was it. my first thought, but now I'm staring at it. Uh, so I have my television set up as a third monitor, mm-hmm. which I recommend to everyone. Um, <laughs> but it's interesting. I'm staring at it highlighted on my big screen here. And it's like this, what type face must, this must be like 60, 60 thought. <laughs> they underestimated you as well as your allies. I could really, I could, you could read that either way. Oh, that could be either way. Which I think is, I think both are true. Yeah. But it's interesting that we both read it the first way first, and now I'm looking at it and reading it the second one. Doesn't matter per se, but it's, I I wonder what, how Harry interprets that line. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it progresses. We learned that Nicodemus was the one who edited the prophecy. Mm Mm-hmm. That Michael heard and was worried about Harry. And then Harry heard from Lasharavas the full prophecy. And he says, you have no idea how difficult it is to waylay an angelic messenger. (laughs) It's probably true. I love that. (laughs) Just kind of the nuts and bolts of how we got here, right? Like, you think of that like, oh, you know, you get part of a prophecy. Like, again, that's trope is the wrong word, but it's not it's, it's not. It sounds negative, but I don't mean it like that in this case, you know, but it's a story beat that we've heard before of like, you get part of a prophecy and you know how that affects the story. You know, that's kind of false conflict, but it's in this case, it kind of fits, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. but you never hear about the nuts and bolts of how you do that. Like, yeah, somebody has to like tackle an angelic messenger halfway through, right? Like it's the only way it could happen. So I I love that we actually are instructed to think about how hard that fucking was. Yeah, which is hundred percent. Just again, like you you touched on the you know eleven Z's and second breakfast and all that shit. Again, yeah, the shit that just like it, we always knew existed, but you never really think about in these worlds. Yeah, butcher thinks about, and it's it's just really kind of cool. I agree. And he, he he again says he has a fond memory or two of your mother, which is why he tried to save him from this affair, mm-hmm. and. You know, Harry mentions, like, that's the second time you've mentioned her, which clearly he's doing it so Harry asks. You know, like when you get a new uh, necklace and you, like, you know, just open up your shirt and you just, like, wait for somebody to ask you about it, you know, that kind of thing. Um, (laughs) 
like very clearly he wanted him to ask about it. And he did. And he said, yes, I res- I respected her, which is quite unusual for me. This is not a lot of information, but it's a lot of information. Again, I know we've yeah. said that a lot lately, but like, that's a lot. It is. And it's, it's, um, Trying to think of a good word for it, but it's it's a heavy bit of information. Yes, for certain. That's you know that's the thing where it's it's a heavy bit of information. It's more than just we're giving a little bit of fact. It's a very heavy bit that we're like, ooh, exactly right. Which again mm-hmm. is exactly what Nicodemus wants. Yeah, right. Not just for Harry, but for us too. Like we're all we're all falling into the same trap, and I yeah. love that. Where it's obviously it's butcher, but like Nicodemus is doing it to both of us. Oh yeah, <laughs> completely. It's, it's two birds in a stone. The character is manipulating the the reader for sure. Uh, they kind of lampshade the idea of the bad guy revealing his plans, a la Bond. <laughs> and they go through, and I love that he describes the valet opening up one of those metal trays and showing something far more diabolical than torture tools, <laughs> breakfast and coffee. <laughs> they give Harry an option. Either we're going to let you go or I'll cut your throat as soon as you finish eating. <laughs> There's a line that I love that we'll touch on later. Mm-hmm. And he mentions that Harry is part of, has the right metaphysical mass for a recipe yeah. he's working on. So that made me think that it's a spell. Yeah, a recipe you would have it would have to be something of those sorts, right? We Yeah. What we know about magic in this world is they're basically spells or um re- basically like it's like cooking basically. Yeah. In a lot of ways. In a lot of ways. Yeah. But he also mentions that he's on a schedule. So Yeah. While he a paragraph ago made fun of the notion that he's going to like I sit here and tell you my whole plan. <laughs> he basically He's did telling us the whole plan, the whole plan. <laughs> which is it's just I mean it's lampshading for sure. It's just interesting and I like it. Um, and it's like he doesn't spell it out for Harry by any means, but you certainly get enough there to kind of start with at least. And yeah, he starts eating his breakfast, and we see a young woman come into the room. She's wearing a, a silk kimono. Um, so clearly, you know, just she's just woken up and you know she's she's not wearing anything underneath it. Like I said, Undertown is cold. <laughs> she comes in and says good morning. And then Nicodemus introduces her as his daughter, Deirdre, and Harry says, We haven't met. Yes, we have. At the harbor. Ah, uh, Madame Medusa, I presume. <laughs> <laughs> oh and i do love her like oh, i've never heard that one before but like also yeah, yeah what I, the fuck else am i supposed to say <laughs> exactly and she asks if she's missed breakfast and he says not at all give us a kiss and she sits on his lap and they do like a tongue kissing thing which is gross plenty gross plenty 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 gross and again we touched on it earlier Chekhov's third chair <laughs> harry there's three chairs i mean you want to get out of there or not and this entire conversation, you know, it's a couple, half a page or whatever it is, is great. Where Oh, it is. It's wonderful. They offer him the coin 
you know, and he does that. <gasps> oh my gosh, this is so sudden. You know, like he's being proposed <laughs> to, which the goon doesn't appreciate at all. But Nicodemus smiles. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I love that as well. But it's obviously a coin, a blackened denarius, as they say in the business. And this part here is what I was referencing a second ago, where he says, you want me to join up? And it's, it's not, it only, you don't have to take the coin, have some breakfast, and then you can decide. And he's saying, like, well, you'll just let me leave. If you accept the coin, I doubt I'd be able to stop you. Mm. So, so what says I wouldn't turn around and use it against you? Nothing. But I'm a great believer in the benevolence of human nature. Which is just a great line from a bad guy. Like, but it also says a lot about what he knows about Harry. Oh, sure. But I don't think that is specific to Harry, that line in particular. No, that's true. I think he's just, I think he's saying it truly. I think he does believe that and he takes advantage of that regularly. That's just kind of how I read it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which is just. Oh, 100% he takes advantage of it regularly. But it, like, again, like a lot, like the Kissinger line, like the Cosby line, if you just read it as straight, it's even mm. more funny. <laughs> Yeah. It's fantastic. So, and we get back into what is clearly kind of the thesis question of this book, which is why does Harry do what Harry does, right? We this has come up this is now at least the third time it's very clearly been asked. And and what this got me thinking when I was going through this over the weekend was does every book have this clear of a question? Yeah. I don't know. And I didn't spend too much time on it. Cause mostly I wanted to ask you what you, you thought, but I want to keep this in mind kind of moving forward. Like is every, you know, and again, we, we know because I've said it and you believe me because I'm a trustworthy guy that butcher's storytelling involves asking a question that's what he calls it mm-hmm. right and i wonder if you can really what's it called where you break something down to a smallest piece deconstruct deconstruct yeah i guess that, that probably fits but i wonder if you can deconstruct each novel down to something this concise i don't know and i i'm not saying you can i'm not saying you can't it's just this this conversation made me think it because it is something they're hitting you over the head with in this book where why does Harry do what he does? And I do think the answer is that because he's a disciple of the Tao of Peter Parker, mm-hmm. but <laughs> Nicodemus was a DC comics fan because he didn't get it. Yeah. <laughs> but right. It just, I, that just made me wonder that. And I don't, I, again, yeah. I, 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 this is going to like shock you and probably two or 17 of the listeners. I sometimes read too deeply into things, <laughs> but um, I don't know. It was just really interesting that this very clearly seems to be, why does Harry do it? Like what, what is, what is it about? That's what seems to be the point of this novel so far, at least. Yeah. And his motivation. Yeah. But it's just interesting. And, you know, he mentions the age old problem where Harry's going to live forever, basically not literally, but for a very long time. And his, the people he cares about, won't be around anymore. Yeah, which it's just an odd sort of moment though. Yeah. For sure. No, for sure. And it's something that will come up, 
you know, as he gets closer to people and as, you know, these relationships get even deeper, right? Like it's something that is, we'll see, right? I mean, we'll see yeah. people age around Harry and it's, it's interesting. Yeah. I do like the line. You are different. You are a freak in a city of millions. You are all but one, which explains my dating life. Just, just <laughs> you, you couldn't put much zing into his words, but even in this like situation, He's still quipping. He's still, you know, bring, given as good as he's getting, which is just 100%. very hairy. You know, you're completely knocked out. Even when you can't stand up anymore, you're still going to at least zing a little bit. Yeah, for sure. But that's just Harry. Oh, absolutely. You know, we, we go through this whole process with Harry actually contemplating picking up the coin. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and again, we've seen this, this same conversation happen now. This is the, the third time this has happened as well, kind of the third beat where it's, um, well, what was the storytelling way to do it? It's like you something, you say something, there's a reference to it, then you subvert it or whatever. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. But, but you know what I'm talking about, right? Like it's the, the three, I think so. It's yeah. Three beat storytelling. But this is the third beat of this, where the first one was Susan asking him to give up his life in Chicago and come join her with whatever it is she's doing down in, uh, Latin America. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. The second one was Ortega asking him to give up his life give in Chicago, everything. come and live with him at Casa Verde. And this one is asking him to take up the coin. And this one would make him more powerful than he could possibly imagine. Yeah. But he loses self. Exactly. Oh, but for it, sure. But also in Ortega's, does he lose himself? Because he talks about when if you become a vampire, you're never you're not yourself anymore. Yeah. Well, he could do it in those in the way that Susan, you know, be kind of a halvesies. Um, yeah. But yeah, no. I'm, I, but it's just interesting. It's the third time someone's asked him basically this exact conversation, right? Uh huh. Um, and he works through it again and decides that he probably wouldn't be able to resist the coin if he took it. Yeah. And we saw what happened to Rasmussen. We've also seen these two seem pretty normal-ish that's not the right word for a father-daughter combo who do the things that they do but they're certainly more in control of themselves seemingly than Rasmussen seemed to be certainly seeming that's actually a great way to describe it but when he decides you know I like to again he realizes there's no point to bravado but he is still going to be him and so he says I'm certain Fuck off, Nick. Exactly. And Nicodemus decides he's had enough breakfast. Peace out. All right. So Nicodemus is going to kill Harry. And Deidre asks, do you want the bowl, father? Father's capitalized again, by the way. Uh, where is mm. my mind today? Porter, bring me the, bring it to me. The gray-haired valet opened the door and left the room. A heartbeat later, there was a wheezing grunt, and Porter flew back through the doorway and landed on his back. Bother. What now? And Nicodemus had looked bored when Anna Valmont emptied her gun into him. When I'd blasted a Nicodemus ship dent into the drywall of the hotel, he'd come through it without a ruffled hair. But when he saw the valet laying on the ground before the open door, Nicodemus's face went pale, his eyes widened. And he took a pair of quick steps to stand behind me, his knife at my throat. You know, it's funny. Hmm. I thought the guy that the valet 
you know, the goon mm-hmm. who went to go. I thought we were saying Porter, go grab me the bowl. I thought that was like his position. Oh, it's his name. But then, yeah, I just got that too. And Porter flew back, which is interesting that Nicodemus would use his name, kind of a level of respect and. Unless it's his his last name and he's just calling him by his last name. But either way, like he's just a goon. Nicodemus doesn't care. All his goons must be interchangeable, right? Uh, but if he's his valet, it's a little bit uh, more of a connection. I guess so. Yeah. It was just it was like literally again. As I'm reading it while you're just while you're reading through it. Yeah, uh, it's up on my big screen in my room. I saw that yeah. second porter with a capital P because the first one's leading off a sentence, right? Um, yes. But the second one's capitalized also, which is just funny. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's all good. Carry on. Um, so it turns out that Shiro is the one who busted the door, busted Porter through the door. <laughs> Yeehaw. And uh, he then continues to do some shit and things. And some shit uh, and things. Beating the crap out of these other folks. Cutting one of the guy's hands off. And Harry, speed of lightning, roar of thunder, fighting all who rob or plunder, underdog! And uh, he's being a smartass. And then Shiro. He's back, him, baby! Harry, he says, Harry, please. And so Harry, shut up. And then there is a bit of back and forth and Shiro trades his life for Harry's. And they agree on 24 hours that he won't try to get out. He won't try to release himself. He won't try to summon aid. And well, there's a, there's a couple interesting thoughts in there. One of them is where he says, my daughter for the wizard. No. Yeah. I, that's a... She ain't worth it. I have plans for him. Yeah. yeah. I just thought that was definitely important here. No, very much so. Um, And so Shiro trades himself for Harry and tells him to take the sword. And Harry says that you know, he doesn't have a really good history with that <laughs> he says to do it. But ha- ha- Shira also says Nicodemus calls it uh, foolishness. Courage, Shiro says. Harry, come over here. Get behind me. Courage versus foolishness. I really liked that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it depends on how the story ends, right? That's true. But he also says... Michael and Sanya might not be too happy with me. They will understand. Mm-hmm. And so he heads out to the ladder and Nicodemus' shadow had grown to the size of a movie screen and it covered the back wall and part of the floor, twitching and writhing slowly closer to Shiro. Keep your word, Japan. Release my daughter. Shiro released the girl and stood up. She flung herself away from him. And as she did, Nicodemus's shadow rolled forward like an ocean wave and crashed over the old night. One moment he was there, the next the room where he stood went totally black, filled with the rasping, seething mass of Nicodemus's demon shadow. Kill the wizard, Nicodemus snarled. Get the sword. And he hears breaking bones and awfulness. And Harry says, my shame dug at me like a knife. 
And then he runs the fuck out of there. Run away! Heck yeah. Makes sense. Run the fuck away. And see, that's where we are. Outstanding. Yeah, no, I, I, mm-hmm. I like that chapter a lot. And no, there's going to be a bit of a lot went on. There's going to be a bit of a kerfuffle in the hallway of the ton- Shocking. Ton- with these folks, the tunnels there. But I figured that was a good, good spot to end it just because yeah, I agree. the gravity of that exchange mm-hmm. and the conversations around it, I thought were really good. But yeah, what, uh, what'd you think in general? And then any specifics? I mean, we learned a lot about everything that's going on. We've kind of progressed character wise and story wise. And I mean, I really, I thought it was good. I thought it was a great set of chapters. Full stop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it was definitely very good. I mm-hmm. did. You, you noticed some interesting things. I think that you touched on with the Denarians themselves. We get again, three very different versions of Denarians which yes. certainly also contrasts with the fourth version we've seen. So we've seen four different ones. One of them, Nicodemus, is just a dude in a trench coat with a necktie. Mm-hmm. One of them is, you know, Deirdre, who's mostly human-shaped, but Medusa hair metal zingers. Mm-hmm. Then we get the snake boy, who, again, seems to have humanish arms. Mm-hmm. And then Ursio was completely demony the whole time it seemed like yeah so kind of a, an interesting spectrum of those guys yeah um did you have any thoughts on on that not really they all? all have human elements they all have the pair of eyes except mm-hmm. for nicodemus so he's outside of that norm of of what we know about these denarians yeah no no good stuff i also just real quick in that scene at the hotel when he comes out of the laundry room and Susan shoves him. You thought for a second she was pulling a fast one, right? Yeah. I just, when I read through that the first time this week, I was like, cause you had mentioned how you don't trust her, which I have no problem yeah. with, but it was well, she, not totally. Yeah, exactly. it's just fine. But I just, I saw that. And I was like, for a moment, it's, it's like, what's going on here Just for a second. Right. But I, I thought that you, yeah. I thought that you would get that for just a second. Um, do you have any questions or anything on the lore or thoughts or anything that no. went on? The other thing I wanted to point out. Um, so with Nicodemus, mm-hmm. he had a favorable view of Jesus, but kept his admiration of Jesus a secret. Is this the same he, character though? Or is that just someone else named Nicodemus? No, this is the same rabbi, the same uh, Sadducee. He also. No, but I mean, is it the same character as the one that we're talking to in this chapter? Well, this is the this is what the the story of Nicodemus in the Bible. So this, I I feel like these are important. The favorable he's got a favorable view of Harry, but he doesn't share that. Okay, interesting. And but he, you know, so that's kind of like he's impressed with Harry, but not willing to put the word out type of situation. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? No, I dig it. Yeah. So it's not necessarily the same character that you've been discussing from the Bible, but he also has shares some. He shares some traits. The names, names are very important. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's why I wanted to look it up. And so that's sort of the thing that we um, saw here, but yeah. 
Oh, definitely. I dig. Or I saw at least. No, I like it. I like it a lot. Yikes. What uh, What do you have on the yikes front? Um, I don't. My yikes aren't too horrible. I have where the, you know, the goons being beat up by a girl is bad for the, their, what's it called? Yeah, um, goon resume. Their goon resume. And then the creepy moment with these two. Yeah. In this scene. Which is, it's definitely not played as good or anything like that so it's no it's just but that's also why i really wanted the capital f father and i had i had to uh you're really hoping he wouldn't say daughter later (laughs) i I had to make sure he actually said the word daughter and i was like yeah he does he did he does alas and alack Uh so um i didn't make any notes on any i touched on one though as we were going but definitely nothing too super gross again you see that right some of the more action-packed sequences they just don't have a lot of opportunities to be yikes exactly that's not to say that he doesn't do great most of the time but it's also hard to be yikes which we've discussed we've discussed that he does do great a lot of the time yeah we're really you know he's really moved away from the chivalry is all bullshit what are your thoughts on on beast i mean besides the biblical name i mean do you get any sense of purpose with nick or do you have any idea or thoughts on or is that more of a th- theories question, I guess? But Yeah, I have a feeling that he is very much not to be messed with, not to be, we don't want to... Oh, certainly. Um, we don't want to discredit any of his power and strength. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Fair but that's about it. All right, well, I guess we move into uh, quotes of the week. Yes. I have a page and a half quotes here that i'm i i, oh I know goodness. i know what my number one is uh-huh. but trying to figure out my two and two and or three depending on where you get to it is going to be difficult yeah i have quite a few most of them we kind of went over but um mine actually we didn't go over this i'm the foremost collector of velvet elvi in the city of chicago i said it once elvi marco inquired the plural would could be elvis's i guess i said but if i say that too often i start muttering to myself and calling things my precious so i usually go with the latin plural which just made me giggle. Yeah, that, ex- you know, that exchange is just like so dumb. And that's a hundred percent. But that's exactly the type of thing that would frustrate Marcone the most, right? Like yeah. where he wants things to be orderly and straightforward and like mm-hmm. business, business, business. And he's not. Harry's just fucking with him. Like it's just mm-hmm. so good. Completely. It's fantastic. I absolutely love it. And it's perfect for the interaction between them because it's also frequently how their interactions go. Mm-hmm. So it's great. What else you got? Let's see. Sorry. Uh, thus do I strike a blow for anarchy whenever the mood takes me. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And then this is, I'll, I have two more. Be a good boy and your precious cloth is in no danger. Attempt to betray me and you'll have nothing. And one more from our lady here. Well, it would be bad etiquette to leave a corpse here for my buyer to clean up. So it seems as though I'll be hand-delivering to Marcone after all. <laughs> I just like that. Do you like Anna Belmont? Again, these just side characters that come and go through our lives. Are yeah, just so like good. We just, but it's like we discussed last week where there no, there's no throwaway characters. Absolutely. Not in any way, shape, or form. And it's fantastic. I guess both of mine are going to be from... Uh, I'm going to do three. I'm doing three. I make fun of you for it all the time, but I'm going to do three. I do 700 because I'm really bad at selecting just one. Dresden, may I be frank with you? 
If it's okay with Frank, I guess I don't mind. <laughs> I giggled at that one when it happened. And then, this isn't easy for either of us. I'd use some sort of psychological technique on you, but I haven't gotten caught up to some of the more recent developments. <laughs> then again, I suppose not many psychologists can drive, it, can drive chariots, so perhaps it balances out. It's just, so it's just such an ego, a random, odd ego trip. <laughs> so dumb. I love it. Uh, totally. But he says those weird ass things just like fucking Harry does. Yes. So. And then my quote of the week, which I was actually thinking of this as I first, first listened to it, is I mm-hmm. almost always, I've sometimes had ones that are less, one, I think one time I had a quote, of the, my quote was not funny. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a, during Stormfront, I believe. Yeah. When uh, he's walking around Linda Randall's apartment. But uh, this isn't sad or anything. I just love it. Yeah. There's not, as, there's not as depressing this book. But where he says, very well, as soon as you release my daughter and lay down your sword, the wizard will go free. I swear it. The old knight only smiled. I know the value of your promises and you know mm-hmm. the value of mine. Which is such a powerful line. Oh, yeah. And I, I, I mean, he touched on that in the car on the way to the second meeting at mm-hmm. Max. But I just love that. Like that line was like immediately I was like, well, there's my quote of the week. And <laughs> I guess I'm going to look. <laughs> it's for a good one. But it's just. It's a good one. Like the, the, the power of that. It just tells you so much about him, about Nicodemus, mm-hmm. about what he knows about Nicodemus, about Nicodemus, you know, what. Nicodemus knows that he knows so that he knows that he knows about too. exactly. And it just gives you a lot of layers there. Yeah. And that I think helps Harry get the power to go on and move forward mm-hmm. through this scene. And um, it's just a really good one that I like a lot. So that is what I will end that section on. And mm-hmm. as we get some cool futuristic music here, what do you have for Crackpot Theory of the Week! Crackpot Theory of the Week. Okay, the Fellowship, fellowship. is some um, super secret, super powerful bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. Don't know exactly why, the fellow- but it's the, something. The Fellowship is a super powerful secret something. Yes. That's your, the, that's your Crackpot I'm, Theory? The <laughs> Fellowship, it, no. It was, it, I have, like, in my head here, like, the Fellowship is like a secret society that gave uh, Susan extra power. Mm-hmm. And that's why she was able to do this stuff. But in order to be part of the fellowship, that's why she has the tattoos. Okay. She's, it's like the mark of the beast sort of thing. Okay. Is what I was thinking about it. Yeah. I dig. I dig. I dig. That's the big one. Very cool. All right. Short of that, I think that just about brings us to it. Boop, boop. Another day, another dollar, as they mm-hmm. say, as people who are employed would say. Um, I did. Coach this morning. It was very exciting. Yeah. What, um, anything else, uh, you want to squeeze into this deal before you head on out into the sunset? No, I really, uh, I really liked a lot of the stuff that we learned this week. Again, I know I was harping on the name stuff with Nicodemus's name a lot, but I just feel like he put such importance on names. I wanted to kind of do a little bit of a background search on the name Nicodemus. And it seems to kind of be like, on point. Yeah, you know? no, for sure. All right. So next week, we're going to go back to six chapters. That'll be 23 through 28. 
I'm back to having to do three chapters, which sucks. I got to be like a full, a full member of this podcast again, which is too bad both for me and for everyone listening. Uh, It's no longer the Lissy show featuring Josh. Uh, Well, it always is the Lissy show featuring Josh, but next week I have an equal, equal number of chapters. Um, Yeah, no, we're, we are just about finished with this novel. We really are chewing through it. And two more weeks, it sounds like. And I'm excited. Yeah, very cool. I really dug this chapter. Like you said, you you learn a lot from these little moments. I really like what we got from Shiro. That was really good stuff. Um, Yeah. Just the straightforward stuff. And then also just that, that one quick interaction. And again, we get to see him being a badass, which is cool. Yeah. And it, I mean, it, it worked. It worked well. Um, yeah, there was, we've got a lot going down in the, in these chapters and I'm kind of sad that we've killed off Shiro. Um, did we? Because I feel like he, he bones were popping and breaking. He's an old man. He's got plenty of bones. He's like all bones. Goodness gracious. I don't know if that's good or bad in this case. Oh, uh, Thomas. We didn't talk, talk about Thomas. Did you have any thoughts on Thomas? No, not really. Nothing that we didn't, you know, touch on. Okay. Already. Interesting. All right. Um, yeah, so good stuff. I, uh, very excited about it. Again, you know the drill. Hit us up. Uh, give us a rating. Give us a like. Give us a star. Give us a chest bump if you whatever you want on the street. But um, definitely keep spreading the good news or the bad news or whatever news it is that you spread. Because we are uh, slowly ticking up, and it's absurd, and I appreciate it. So, um, yeah, Definitely. the podcast is on fire at gmail.com is the best way to get in touch with us. I read through them all first so that Lissy doesn't get any spoilers. But um, I, I send her redacted. Mm-hmm. I li- like we're the freaking FBI. So I literally redact them and send them on to her, which mm-hmm. I, I like way more than summarizing. So mm-hmm. <laughs> please continue to send the goods. And, um, you know, yeah, you find fun in life where you can list. I know it's entertaining though. We have a good time. We do. In fact, that's all that matters. So, um, yeah, thank you guys so much. I appreciate it. I am delighted to have been Josh. And I am Alyssa with the podcast was on fire and it wasn't my fault. Yeehaw. I'm almost positive that we are two weeks away from you understanding what the title of our podcast. Awesome. (laughs) Only took 